Well, this morning we're in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, and Paul is continuing from the same subject he's had in the last few chapters, beginning with meat offered unto idols, and a unique situation there in Corinth where pagans were coming out of paganism into Christianity, but they were being stumbled by eating meat that they knew was going to the same temples they had just come out of. There were other believers at that time, however, that knew there is no strength in pagans. There is no such thing as false gods. There's only the true and living God. And they felt that they should exercise their liberty to do whatever they want, get that discount uh, pork at the uh, market. And so Paul continued to share with them that even though that was true, that we shouldn't use our liberty to stumble others, that our liberty in Christ is to be used to bless others, not ourselves. And then he showed us that he lived this way himself because in the previous chapter, he showed how the church should support, the ministry should support its leaders, its pastors, its teachers. And he said he didn't want to receive any of it so that the gospel would be glorified, not for his own self, not for his own pride. He wanted to see others blessed. And he would also say in the scriptures, obviously inspired by the Holy Spirit, that all things are lawful for me, but I will not come under the power of any, the liberty of grace. Now, he is going to be comparing now in chapter 10 the Corinthian believers to ancient Israel, Israel that had God walking with them and sharing them and leading them for different ways, guiding and directing them, and yet we're going to see how ancient Israel responded to the Lord, and then we're going to apply it to the Corinthians, the Corinthian Christians, and then we're going to apply it to ourselves. So let's be go, go before the Lord in prayer, and then we're going to go in verses 1 through 5. Lord, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you that it never passes away, it never changes. We pray that as you teach us here from 1 Corinthians 10, that you would write it on the tablets of our heart, that you would use us and change us, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> Moreover, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware that all our fathers were under the, under the cloud. All our fathers were under the cloud. All passed through the sea. All were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. All ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drink of that spiritual rock that followed them and that rock was Christ. But with most of them, God was not well pleased, for their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. So he uses some terms here that we're not really too familiar with, at least we don't use too often. Now, the nation of Israel was God's chosen people. He called Abraham out of a far, a far land to become and to start his family, the nation of Israel, with the 12 tribes who would eventually bring in the Messiah, Jesus Christ himself the lion of the tribe of Judah. Now, he's connecting here to our fathers there in ancient Israel. Now, who's there in Corinth? It's not just Jews, so what is he talking about? Yes, the Jewish people were able to look back genetically and say, yes, that's our heritage, that's our fathers. But the Bible tells us in Galatians 3, 7 that we are all children of Abraham through faith, the true faith. And so he's applying ancient Israel to all of them that are in Corinth and he's saying, hey, look at our fathers, look at what they did, look at how they acted. And one of the things that he's going to say here, or insinuate to us, is that as New Testament believers, just as in Corinth, 
we can apply those spiritual things to the nation of Israel to ourselves. And he's going to do just that. Now, we have to understand 100% that all of us have fallen short of the glory of God. Because throughout this chapter, Paul's going to teach us how to resist temptation, the importance of resisting temptation, the importance of being able to say no spiritually to our own desires, and how we're to live for others. He's going to continue the same thread that he had in chapters 9 and 8. Now, when we look at the nation of Israel, let's see how bad this is, and then we're going to apply it to this text. You see, when Moses was on Mount Sinai, he was walking with God. He was in the presence of God. As he comes down the mountain, his face is shining, it says. But the reason he comes down the mountain is because God tells him, hey, you need to get down there quick. Something's happening. Well, what was going on? In Exodus 31, excuse me, 32, verse 1, now when the people saw that Moses delayed coming down from the mountain, the people gathered together to Aaron and said to him, come, make us gods that shall go before us. For as for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. And Aaron said to them, Break off the golden earrings which are in your ears of your wives, your sons, your daughters, and bring them to me. So all the people broke off the golden earrings which were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. Are you you guys catching this? They were delivered from where? Ancient Israel. Hundreds of years of slavery and oppression. Their children were being killed. Their sons were being murdered. And God delivered them through 12 miraculous, 12, what, what am I doing today? 10 miraculous plagues. He delivers them out, brings them through the Red Sea. Pharaoh chases them. This evil man that caused all this hardship, what does God do? He wipes them out. They get to the other side. The Lord's up there speaking to Moses, going to give them the commandments, give them everything they need to be a great nation. And they say, ah, they're gone for a while. And where do they go back to? Let's start carving things. Let's go back to paganism. Let's go back to what we know. And they're already drifting away. Now, we built the base here. We can apply the same thing to us. How is it that you can go on a missionary trip to a foreign land, you come back here and you still have the same physical temptations, the same struggles, the same hardships, because we've all fallen short of the glory of God. All of us have fallen short. We're all sinners. How is it that you can be raising your hands in worship this morning, praising God, and then later on today, maybe even right now, you're already being tempted. Something's drawing you away. How is it that both these things can be true? How is it that as New Testament believers, we can be filled with the Holy Spirit, God indwelling in us, a new creation, a new creature, and yet many of us are struggling tempted by the same old things. So Paul is identifying Israel here when he says, our fathers passed through the cloud. What's he talking about with cloud? When Israel is going through the desert and being led, there was a pillar of cloud during the day that led them and a pillar of fire at night. And when that pillar stopped, they stopped, they encamped. When that pillar started moving, they followed it. In the tabernacle, the cloud came and dwelled in the tabernacle. And they had this thing in the Hebrew called the Shekinah, the glory of God. The presence of God dwelled in the middle of the people there. And they had the word of God. But what did they do? They rebel. They Immediately after leaving Egypt, they say, well, there were watermelons there. We should go back. We're going to be out here to die. Moses, did you lead us out here to die? Did God lead us out here to die? And then when they're in 
They're in the, uh, the desert. As they pass through, it says here, all passed through the sea and were baptized into Moses. He's talking about passing through the Red Sea. And God crushed that water behind, and Pharaoh and his armies were destroyed in Exodus chapter 14. He's saying, we too, we've been baptized in Jesus Christ. We have the presence of God through the Holy Spirit. And then he says here in the text, all ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink. Well, every day, except the Sabbath day, God fed them with manna, miraculous food from heaven. And what did they do? They complained. Can't I just have a little meat? Oh, you want some meat, God said, and he sent those, those birds literally coming out of their ears. That's where the saying comes from, coming out of their nostrils. What about water? They complained to God, oh, you've led us out here to drown. To drown. You led us out here to, to die of dehydration. And God had water flow out of the rocks. And they all ate that in Exodus 16 and 17. And even though they're God's chosen people, even God's never going to leave them, he's never going to forsake them. What does it say here? Here's the key verse. Many of them God was not well pleased. Many of them God was not well pleased. Well, God's telling the Corinthians through the Holy Spirit through Paul, he's telling us today that God is not pleased with many Christians today. They're saved, they're baptized, they're filled with the Holy Spirit, they have the presence of God, he's never going to leave them or forsake them, but he's not pleased. He's not happy with the way that we're living our lives. Now, for many Christians in America today, we, we believe that we just live grace, we can fall, we can partake of these temptations and these sins. What does it matter? Nobody knows. I'm just going to repent. God knows me. I'm just a sinner. Things are just, you know, it's just I shouldn't do it, but I do. And, you know, thank you, God, for your grace. You never think about if he's pleased with you or not because you've just been told, well, God loves you. God loves you. I love my kids, every single one of them. I take a bullet for all of them, probably even Mark. <laughs> but that being said, that doesn't mean I'm pleased with them all the time. That doesn't mean I'm happy with them. And, and many of us don't even consider in our Christian walk, is God pleased with us? Here with Israel, God's chosen people, he's not pleased with the majority of them. So what are we supposed to do, though? Was Moses tempted when he was up there in Mount Sinai? Was he tempted to, stu to stumble? Of course not, but why? He was in the presence of God. When did the nation of Israel stumble when they were making that golden calf and giving their earrings and their money? They were not in the presence of God. They weren't looking to God. They weren't seeking him. They're still God's chosen people. Well, what about Adam and Eve? Would Adam and Eve have fallen if they were walking with God in the coolness of the day, like it says there in Genesis, no, they were separated from the Lord. And in who's whispering there? Satan. What if, what if they just separated themselves from the, the serpent? Would the fruit have been so tempting if they weren't around it? No, the spiritual principle here is found in Galatians 5.16. It says, I say, then walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Now, we're going to come back to this verse later on in this sermon, but we're going to build a foundation here. But it is a highlight verse. It is a memory verse. Galatians 5.16, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. You know, I'm about to go to the pastor's conference. I'm super excited. Again, it's just 100% for me. I am spiritually blessed when I am listening to the best pastors and teachers all day long. You know what? 
I really don't have any spiritual issues when I'm there for some reason. For some reason, my relationship with the Lord is really tight when I'm there. And it's because it's 100% dedicated to being in his presence, hearing his word, being in worship, talking about him, looking about him. But when I get away from it, and then I'm in the world for a little bit, what happens? Temptation. We find ourselves not so pleasing to God. There's going to be a very important spiritual principle here as a Christian. Following chapters 8 and 9 and here in chapter 10, we live this Christian walk for others, not for ourselves. Too many of us are living this Christian walk to please a pastor, to please your spouse, to please the people around you. Is the church happy with me? Are my friends happy with me? Is my spouse happy with me? You should not be living this Christian walk to please other people. Even worse, you should never live this Christian walk to please yourself. Well, I feel like I'm happy here, or I feel like I have joy, or I feel sad, or I feel like this, or I feel like that. When I go to the gym in the morning, there's only one reason I get up to go to the gym in the morning, and that's because other guys are waiting for me. When they're not waiting for me, I hit that snooze button every time. Like, yeah, I just don't feel like it today. But when I know somebody else is waiting on me, suddenly <coughs> I have more power, more self-control to get up most of the time. Even then, sometimes I still don't do it. How, why is that? Why is that? But many of us Christians are just trying to live this Christian walk based on how we, what mood we're in. And then we wonder why. We don't have that spiritual strength, that spiritual self-control. And then even worse, we start saying to ourselves, well, God loves me. He forgives me. He knows that I'm a sinner. It's all right. It's, it's all right. That's how you live the defeated Christian life, not the victorious Christian life. Well, Paul continues here. Now, remember, he has laid the foundation. He's talking about the nation of Israel, even though they're God's chosen people and they did all these things. Verses 6 through 10. Now, these things become became our examples to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted and do not become idolaters as were some of them as it is written the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play nor let us commit sexual immorality as some of them did and in one day 23,000 fell nor let us tempt Christ as some of them also tempted and were destroyed by serpents, nor complain, as some of them also complained, and were destroyed by the destroyer. I have an important question for all of us. Can you say no to your flesh and your desires? Second, can you say no to your flesh and your desires consistently? For many of us, the answer is no, I, I can't do that. Maybe occasionally I'm successful, but but not always. Look at the things that are going on here that Paul's talking about in this list. Sexual immorality, lusting after, uh, desires, eating and drinking, gossiping, complaining, testing the Lord, following after the enemy. Why is it that we're tempted by these things? And notice he's comparing them to them, our fathers. So Paul, in the first century, is saying, Look to ancient Israel and the same sexual immorality, temptations, lusts, 
complaining, rebellious attitude that they had, idolatrous, turning away from God, is what's going on here in Corinth. Nothing's changed. And then what do we see here in the 21st century in South Carolina? The same exact thing, nothing new under the sun. It's the same things that people are struggling with. It's almost like this is our human nature. It's almost like we're broken. But Paul continued to share with them that he had those same temptations and struggles. But what did he say last chapter? In chapter 9, a few verses ago, he said, but I discipline my body and I bring it into subjection, lest when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. I discipline my body. Now, I want us to see something else here. What does he say in verse 6 about the nation of Israel? He said, now these things become, became our examples. They became our examples. They're not good examples. And, and many people here in rebellion in the nation of Israel, they perished by judgment. Now, I'm going to share something very sensitive. You know, it's going to be a little tough. But I think about people in general and what we've been taught as people. I mean, at least in my generation, I was taught that everyone is special. Everyone's important. God loves every single one of us, which he does. But how we apply it is the trouble. That you're going to get a great job. You're going to go to university. You're going to be healthy. And things are going to be great. The, the issue is that life happens and we see that that's good to be an optimist. Not everyone needs to be as negative as I am about things. But that being said, you know, my brother, he, he passed away a few years ago. Because of choices that he had made and temptations that he had fallen into. And that was cut short. And unfortunately, he is an example of what not to do. And many of us know people, they're examples of what not to do. And unfortunately, even more, more unfortunate is this. There are people in this room today that are going to give in to their temptations and their desires, and you are going to become an example of what not to do. And it's not going to end well, because the Bible says your sins will find you out. And that's between you and God. But the key for us is then, how do we resist temptation? How do we say no? How do we not get over to the evil one? Paul says that he was able to discipline himself. He was able to put it into subjection. And we say, well, Paul, you're just a superhero. There's no way to do it. Not correct. One of my favorite verses, I quote it all the time because I have to use it all the time. In the book of Romans, he says, that which I will not to do, that I do. And that which I will to do, that I do not do. Paul is saying that in him is the flesh and the spirit. Just the same as God was walking with the nation of Israel in the pillar of cloud and fire, the Shekinah glory in the temple, the manna, the water. Just as the Holy Spirit is indwelling in us and we're a new creation and we were baptized in Christ, we too need to make these decisions and resist temptation how does that connect to the last two chapters? Because we need to start living for other people. See, many of us are falling into temptation. We're falling to them because we say, well, nobody's affected by this. It's just me. I'll just repent. God still loves me. Yeah, but he's not pleased. He loves you, but he's not pleased. But what we don't think about is our failings are other people's failings. You're letting other people down. Using this liberty to bless others. 
Notice, where does the lust come from in this portion of Scripture? It comes from ourselves. It's the things that we desire. It's the things that we're trying to make happen. And we're the ones that can't resist because you cannot do this by yourself. You see, when you are the source of the problem, you can never be the answer to the problem. When you are the source of the problem, you can never be the answer to the problem. James tells us in chapter 1, very same thing, but each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. And you can't win a battle against yourself. Now, we're going to put a pin in this. We're going to go down a little rabbit hole, a little side note here, because there's a lot of controversy with this number that's found here about the 23,000 people that fell. Now, people say, well, oh, there's a contradiction. There is an apparent contradiction, something that doesn't look right. Now, I am not good at numerology, numerology and numbers and, and uh, the different idiosyncrasies. There's a $5 word of the text. So we're going to steal somebody who is good at that. So David Guzik tells us in his explanation, this number presents some difficulty. The quotation from Exodus 32.6 sets the context there, and in Exodus 32.28 tells us about 3,000 men of the people fell that day. So here, just to build it back here, here it says 23,000 people fell, but in the Old Testament it says that 3,000 men fell from this. So what's going on here? Perhaps there were more people that died, which the scriptures do not record, or there were 20,000 women who died in the aftermath of the golden calf incident. Or some think Paul has jumped ahead to another time when Israel's sexual immorality during the Exodus brought God's judgment upon them in Numbers 25. In the Numbers passage, we're told that 24,000 died from that judgment of God, but perhaps it was 23,000 who died in one day. So there's a couple of different contexts. It could be that 3,000 men died in one day, and then just more died later, and that accumulated. Or he was just talking about the men, and it was the women also, and, and other people. We don't really know. But here's the beautiful part about these controversies and why I bring them up. They prove the Bible and its authenticity more than anything else. You know how many revisions the Book of Mormon has been through? The Book of Mormon has... Um, Portions of the 1611 King James Version ripped off in it, including the italicized words that were added in the English for context. And they just threw those suckers in there. And you can look, if you want to go on a Google search, Book of Mormon Revisions, and they'll show you over the decades how they've changed it to try and erase contradictions. Like, why wouldn't they just go in, you know, like 400, 500 A.D. and start changing these things, make them line up a little bit, clean it up? Because the authenticity, the sacredness of the Bible, it has not been changed. And we have to learn the proper interpretation in certain areas. Oh, well, he might have meant this or he might have meant that. I'll give you one other example. In the New Testament, uh, there is a story that says that Jesus came out of a city and performed a, a healing. And then in another gospel, it says he went into it as he was going into a city, he performed the same healing and it looked like a contradiction universities love to look at that one until archaeologists came back and found there was an old city and a new city there was an old city same name destroyed by the romans 
And then they made a new city with the same name down the road, and he actually was just walking in between the old and the new one, and the historical record of the Bible was correct. And so when you see these different things and you hear these different arguments, I want you to be well-trained and well-prepared to say, yes, we have never changed the Bible from its original writing. It is sacred. You can trust your salvation on it. You can trust your eternity on it. And so I'm encouraged when I see things like this, and I see, oh, yeah, you know, we just have to figure out what he was really saying. Well, let's go back to talking about resisting temptation, about not living a defeated Christian life and living a victorious Christian life, realizing that other people rely on us resisting those temptations. Let's read verse 11 now. Now, all these things happened to them as examples, that they were written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the ages have come. All those things are written as an example for what? To us. For us. God was not pleased. There was judgment. There was consequences. People were hurt. I shared about in my own family, you know, things that happen, and you're like, man, but that's not, that's not what I was taught in grade school. You know, he was taught that everything was going to work out great. He was going to have a great job. He was going to be healthy. He was going to have a family. Everything was going to be awesome. But then he made choices, and those choices had consequences. And we make spiritual choices, and you may think that you're getting away with it, but I'm here to tell you from the Scripture there are consequences. But don't think only of yourself. As a Christian, one of the ways that we resist temptation is realizing that your family, your spouse relies on you to be spiritually strong, to stand fast and discipline yourself, like Paul said in chapter 9, that we need to resist. Now, you keep telling us, Mike, why and what, but how? How do we do these things? Now, we're going to spend some time here in verses 12 and 13, and we're going to do just that. We're going to talk about the, the what and the how. Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will always make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. Now, this is on my top five list of uh, verses that are misquoted all the time. You hear... Well, you've been taught for a long time, God will never test you above what you're able. You haven't read the Bible then. God tests people all kinds more than they're able. He puts things on them and allows things into their life that will crush them. You may have experienced and you may have thought, well, I'm just not a good Christian. No, that's not what the text says. The text says he will never allow you to be tempted above what you're able, but will always allow escape. Many times the only place to go is to run. Run away as fast as you can. But don't just run from the problem. It's who you run to. Run to him. The Bible tells us in the, in the Psalms that we should flee to him like a bird to the mountains. When the hurricane comes, what happens? You see all the birds, they start disappearing. All the animals, they start going, flee to the mountains, and we're to do the same. No, God will allow you to be into some terrible, terrible burdens, but he'll make a way of escape. But we see here that we can't do it on our own. Don't try and stand 
on your own, you're just going to fall. You know, for some people, they're going to be in the house alone and they got a bottle of whiskey in the refrigerator. Now they're talking to the thing. Well, I shouldn't drink this. I really shouldn't drink this. But, you know, the Bible says, and they're like Satan tempting Jesus using the scripture in the desert doing the same thing. Well, you know, I just can't get drunk. I'll just have a little bit. First of all, pour the thing down. Pour it down the sink. You won't have any problems. You can't make any provision for the flesh. None. Don't do it. Because why? If you're the source of the problem, why is the solution going to come out of you? There you are in your house talking to your refrigerator, talking to an inanimate object, a bottle, and you're going to struggle. Now, you could fill in whatever temptation that is. The Bible tells us in Romans 13, 14, this is a how, put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lust. Make no provision. If you're a single guy and you're with a single gal that you're very affectionate with and you're by yourself, and you're like, oh, no, it's different for us. It'll be all right. You know, 99 out of 100 times, maybe it will be. But one day you're going to wink at her and she's going to wink at you, and it's over because you are both the source of the problem. I hope so. And second, if you're dating single people here, a person that you can be alone with without any problems 100 times, that's probably not the person you need to be with. Probably not going to work out. <laughs> but you are the source of the problem. You can make no provision. You, you can't allow it. There are many men in here right now. You should not have the Internet in front of you available to yourself when you're alone. You're going to fail tomorrow, the next day, next week. Maybe you'll do good for a few days. You are a filthy sinner, and you are the problem. And you think that, well, I'll just ignore it. God will forgive me. He loves me. He knows I'm broken. He's not happy. He is not pleased. And you need to put on Christ and make no provision. Put the blocks on there. Get rid of the Internet. Hey, go back to one of those 1998 Nokia phones. You know the big block? You're not seeing anything on that green screen. It's okay. We laugh, but you're the one that's falling. <laughs> Make no provision. Now, again, you can fill in those things, whatever that issue is, because we keep living a, a defeated Christian life. We come here on Sundays. We raise our hands. We say, hallelujah, Lord, change me. I'm a new creation. Oh, I've, I've died to myself. I'm following after you. I pick up the cross, Lord. But then we go home, then we're out driving, and then all the flesh speaks coming back out. Put on Christ. Be guided and directed by him. Understand that you don't need to resist temptation just for your feelings. You need to resist temptation because if you were to compromise with that person you're dating with, is that how you want to establish your marriage? In compromise? That's how you want to establish it? In sin, I mean, I did, I've re, you know, praise God for his grace and for many of us here. But then how do you counsel your children later? I was at a conference, and they were talking about a pastor who was during COVID lockdown, had live streaming. They're on his computer, and guess what happened to be streamed to all the congregation? It happened. I met the man. Can you imagine the ramifications? But it's cute. It's, it's not a big deal when it's just you privately. Oh, the Lord will forgive me. Destroyed a fellowship. Destroyed it. Hiroshima, nuclear bomb, destroyed a fellowship. Because we don't think about the others. What about your spouse? What about your children? What about this church? 
I mean, let's roll it down to something that's not so serious, lighten the mood a little bit. We may say that we don't have time for devotions, we don't have time for prayer, we don't have time, it's just a busy lifestyle. If you took as much time as you did in front of a screen, cell phone screen, computer screen, television screen, and you prayed that much, you read that much, you fellowshiped that much, you called a brother or sister just to check on them, text on them, what would your spiritual life be like? And if your spiritual life was like that, how would that affect this church? No, we are to stand fast. Paul said to discipline himself, to deny the flesh and the lust thereof for the benefit of others. And most importantly, to glorify Christ who gave his life for us to give us this fight. And when we look to the Lord and we are in that moment and we are being tempted, we need to remember this about Jesus in Hebrews chapter 2. For in that he himself suffered, has suffered, being tempted, he is able to aid those who are tempted. Well, the first way that you can aid yourself is to not put yourself into temptation, for, for one. But if you do, he'll help you. And there's one thing of many I don't understand. It's how can a perfect, sinless, God in the flesh, yet human being, Jesus, understand our temptations and understand what it is to be tempted? And yet, that is what the Bible tells us. The Bible tells us he knows it, he understands it, he feels it. It's not like he's just a far off saying, yep, I made you all to just really be terrible at everything and then criticize you for it. No, no, no. It says in Hebrews 4.15, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. But he can sympathize. He understands what that struggle is. We need to start fighting that fight again. We cannot be given over to temptation. It is destroying our minds, our bodies. It's destroying our families. It's destroying our churches. It's destroying our nation. And the enemy just has you keep thinking like, well, it's okay. It's not that big of a deal. Just let it go. God, God loves you. He'll forgive you. Yes, he does. Yes, he will. But he is not pleased. He is not pleased. There are areas that we should be victorious in. And we've given up and given over. I told you I would share with you how. That doesn't mean it's easy, but how. The Bible tells us put on Christ. Be Christ-focused. Am I furthering the gospel? Is this benefiting his cause? Am I glorifying his name? He's filled you with his spirit. He's given you the word of God. He's given you victory. You need to be denying yourself. You cannot live for your own desires, your own temptations. They're not good. You are the enemy. Stop getting advice from Judas Iscariot. Not a good source. Resist temptation. We do that by walking in the Spirit. Remember, Moses is not tempted when he's walking with the Lord. Adam and Eve are not tempted when they're walking in the coolness of the garden. The disciples say some really dumb things, but they're instantly corrected in the presence of the Lord. Walk in the Spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the, the flesh. Remember, Romans, make no provision. Make no provision. You know, if you're allergic to bee stings, getting honey is probably not your job. Stay away from them. If you are, are uh, deathly ill, if you touch something, probably shouldn't be in the same room with it. Make no provision for the flesh. 
But most importantly, Jesus tells us, knowing our weaknesses, knowing our infirmities, he says in Luke twenty-two forty, when he came to the place, he said to them, pray that you not that pray that you may not enter into temptation. Why does he say that? Why doesn't he say, pray that I deliver you from temptation? Pray that you're victorious over temptation. No, he says, pray you don't even enter into it. Why? Because we're going to fail. It's just a matter of time. It's just a matter of time. And so you can make no provision. But we need to be praying. We need to be prayer warriors. The Bible instructs us to pray without ceasing. Now, many of you are going to receive this, agree with it, maybe, maybe make a change or two. Many of you are going to hear this as just another good sermon, just another bad sermon. The choice is yours. Only the Lord knows. And, and nothing will happen. But for, for, for a couple of you, and by the Holy Spirit alone, there's going to be a conviction of a particular area, and you're going to be victorious because you're going to get rid of it. You're going to get out of your house. You're going to get it out of your influence. You're going to break off that relationship. You're going to uh, make changes for the glory of God, not for yourself, but for the glory of God. But for many of us, it could be just as simple as putting the phone down and praying. Because, like, what's a big deal? I have liberty. I can do all things in Christ, but I will not come under the power of any, and I will lay down my rights for others. Remember the previous chapter, Paul said, to the Jew, I became a Jew. To the Greek, I became a Greek. To the weak, I became weak. I remember that because I don't like that one. Do you think that maybe someone's spiritually struggling here because you won't put the phone down and pray for them? You see, when you're just feeding yourself, it's not that big of a deal. I'll do it later. But when somebody else is relying on you, it changes things. And that's the theme about eating meat unto idols, about Paul not receiving finances from the church, about denying himself. The theme is about others. A Christian walk is about denying ourselves for the benefit of of others. It's not about us just doing what we feel like. Isn't what you can get away with and still be saved? It's about what you can do for brothers and sisters in the name of Jesus, not what you can get. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word and the conviction that comes with being in your presence, and we pray that you would deliver us from temptation. If there's a cleansing that needs to be happening, I pray that that's what would happen, Lord. I thank you that you know our weaknesses. You feel them. You understand them. I also thank you that you are perfect and never sinned. Fill us with your spirit. Help us to walk closer to you that we don't fulfill those lusts and we don't walk in them and that we would have victorious Christian walks, preaching your name and glorifying you for our victories, knowing that they don't come from within us praise you and thank you in advance for the victories that are won this morning in your name alone. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you need prayer, come on up. We'd love to pray with you. God bless you. Have a wonderful week.